the formation that and the tactics that we do in the first half wasn't the the correct one for for the game. I think I think that's from us, also from uh, from the staff. We we, we have spoken uh, about that. just how defensive-minded the team is right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second of two Miami Total Football Radio episodes this week. Miami Total Football Radio, as we know it in English, is, of course, the Inter-Miami-focused podcast that has been listened to in more than 50 countries, where the beautiful game collides with passion and analysis, and where we provide you with all the latest team news, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more via a team of seasoned South Florida-based reporters. That team is once again down to two because this busy, challenging, grueling stretch of games here in May has caused a rotation. Just like Inter-Miami on the field, we've had to rotate here in and out to keep the legs or the voices fresh. So... If Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose, joined me on the first episode of the week, that means, of course, that we have Andrea Yanes, a.k.a. Ajisita, on the second one back again, and I'm sure ready to deliver the spicy, spicy, and hot takes. Andrea, how are you doing on this fine, calm Thursday evening? Hi, Franco. Nice to be back. Um, well, I'm doing good. I guess we are here to talk about Inter-Miami, the not-so-good result. We're going to talk about it. We're going to analyze the game, and we are going to talk about the Sunshine Classico. Hey. If MLS comes and steals our name, we're going <laughs> to put a copyright claim. That's right. Trademark. <laughs> trademark. It's been copywritten and trademarked on Miami Total Football Radio. So, uh, anyway... Like you mentioned, we've got quite a bit to talk about. It's another short turnaround that you know the team faces and that we face between recording this and dropping it before the next game. So you know, let's not waste a whole lot of time. Like you said, we'll recap, analyze, and discuss the two to one loss to Nashville SC. We will preview the Sunshine Classico against Orlando City, the first meeting between these two sides here in. 2023 between the two rivals we will talk about the return of ian frey we will continue to talk about phil neville's tactics and of course we will do the q a session and the final thoughts at the very end so lots to discuss not a whole lot of time in the grand scheme of things so andrea listeners let's get to it all right andrea so let's dive right into it Inter-Miami went on the road to Nashville, Tennessee to take on Nashville SC, the 2020 expansion brother at Geodis Park. And Inter-Miami suffered a 2-1 defeat. The first loss in six matches across all competitions. The winning streak and the unbeaten run are no more. And... This was the starting lineup that Inter-Miami went with in the game. It was a 5-2-2-1 formation with that midfield looking more like a box or square than actually having any real wide players. 
at least in the middle of the park. So it was Drake Callender in gold, a back five, Harvey Neville, Christopher McVeigh, Ryan Saylor, Kamal Miller, and the returning Franco Negri. The first line of the midfield was comprised of Dixon Arroyo and Victor Ulloa. Ahead of them in that second line of the midfield, Benjamin or Benjamin Kremaski and Robert Taylor. And up top by his lonesome Leonardo Campana. So he Christoph missed this game with an injury. But nonetheless, Inter Miami gives up an opener in the 33rd minute to Fafa Picot, who some South Florida football aficionados will be familiar with from his days with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. And then Lucas McNaughton scores in the 49th. Dixon Arroyo opens his MLS account and his scores his first Inter-Miami goal in second half stoppage time. Late Constellation prize made the scoreline a little bit more flattering for Inter-Miami, but they were never really in this one. They never really looked to get anything out of this game. Phil Noble, after the match, called it, you know, at least the first half, he said it was the worst, I think it was our worst half fun. of football that they have played this season. So, Andrea, we know the lineup, we know the goals, we know the result. Inter-Miami loses again for the first time in six matches across all competitions. Your biggest takeaways from the defeat? Well, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible first half. You love I that word. I don't think I could say anything. It was horrendous. It was the worst I've seen a team in MLS in a long time. It was horrible. I, I, I don't know any other word. My vocabulary in English is not as rich as it is in Spanish, but So give us a Spanish word. This is a bilingual <laughs> podcast. Give me the give me the Spanish word. Fue basura, tremenda basura de primer tiempo. It was zero creativity, zero football, zero anything. Like they were really lucky that Nashville didn't score more goals on them. And uh, they were Nashville Nashville were superior a thousand times. They were. They looked like a team that was playing together and that was playing. It looked like a first division team against a third division team. To to tell you the truth, it was that bad that first half. So it was a terrible performance. I, I of course will agree with you on that. You know, especially in the first half. You know, Inter Miami got better in the second half, but at that point, after Nashville SC scored early in the second half. Uh, you know, it was it was smooth sailing for Nashville SC, right? They didn't have to keep pushing for another goal. So they, they you know, they let Inter Miami have more of the ball. They went to protect their lead. And, and Inter Miami had some moments, but, you know, they never really overly troubled Nashville. So by and large, it was a very defensive-minded game plan that was ugly to watch because they didn't execute by any stretch of the imagination, anywhere close to what they were planning to do. Whatever the game plan was to start, which had to do with uh, what Phil Neville said after the game when I asked him, was had to do with you know crowding the midfield and having an extra an extra body in there. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't pay off. And Inter Miami was outmatched and outplayed and outcoached for the 90 minutes. Again, they got one goal late, makes it 2-1. It looks like it was a close game, but it was never really, never really that close. So... Uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it is a setback. I will say, you know, I've been more positive than you and Jose about the defensive approach as of late. And, you know, I still think that longer term, this is what Inter Miami, uh, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not longer term based on what Jason Christ 
set at practice on Thursday. But, you know, I, I think it for this team, the way it's playing right now, I still think it's probably the best chance that they have. Now, they can't play as badly as they did on Wednesday, right? They played horribly, like you said. Uh, I, I didn't even think Leonardo Campana had a good game. I think he had probably one of his worst games in an Inter-Miami jersey. Like, his, his touches, re-watching the game, his touches in the first 15 minutes, he lost the ball, I think, almost every single time he got the ball. Now, you can say he didn't have options to pass to, or, but even some touches just got away from him, and he never really looked, uh, you know, on it on the night. You know, it wasn't his sharpest game, um, and and it, for the whole team, it wasn't a sharp game. So I'm not going to lay the blame on him or anything, but I don't think he looked particularly good at, at the top of the, the, the attack. Uh, now that being he said, he had to he had to come down too too much. Yeah, I mean, but that's I mean he he can do that though. I, like I've seen games where he's where he's able to yeah, hold up the ball and combine and like. Andrea, there was he's one pass. Tired and injured. Andrea, there was he one pass in the twentieth minute where he tries to flick it on like with his back to goal and then it just goes to a natural player. Like and again, it's not it's not on Campana. I'm not gonna I'm not going to sit here and just only say Campana was playing poorly. Inter Miami as a whole played poorly. Like again, the defensive tactics. Well, it's not my preferred style of play. I don't mind them for this team, like I've said in recent podcasts. But Inter-Miami with the ball from the start, they just lacked precision. No estaban precisos from the opening whistle. Just lacked accuracy. A lot of passes were misplayed. And, and they were just misplayed without much pressure. Like Victor Uyola missing passes. Kamal Miller missing passes. Kamal Miller trying to dribble and then getting stripped of the ball. Like Inter Miami, just in general, and maybe it was just like uh, like the dominoes fell and it just got contagious after one player kept messing up, the next player kept messing up. You know, they didn't they didn't instill that confidence within one another in terms of of connecting passes and playing well because they just kept losing the ball over and over and over again. And Jason Christ, who spoke on Thursday rather than Phil Neville. Maybe, I don't like maybe. that either. Well, <laughs> don't get me started on that because if not, I'm not gonna shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, we could talk. We could talk about that, but I mean, I, you know, maybe Phil feels a a little fatigued, media fatigued from from talking so much over this this busy stretch of games. But nonetheless, you know, Jason Christ talked about how Inter Miami kept giving up the ball over and over and over again, and yeah, I mean, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. I saw an Inter Miami team that, you know, sometimes they were under pressure, but sometimes they weren't, and they would just make. Error after error after error. Now, we can analyze why. Again, I think part of it is because, you know, one error after another, that starts to sink the confidence as a group. You know, you're not, you know, they say, cuando juegas bien, when you start playing well and you start combining, that's contagious, right? That that, that that feeling starts to, you know, you start to have that feeling amongst the team on the field. But it also goes the other way. When you're not connecting passes, when you're all struggling, then, you know, it, it definitely can sink uh the overall morale of the team, especially when you know, everyone's trying to feel like they have to do a little bit extra as opposed to letting things flow, right? Forcing it instead of letting it just happen naturally. Like there was one play, and I think it's telling in the first half, where you know there's there's a clearance in the penalty area, an Inter-Miami's penalty area. I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been Dixon Arroyo, or it might have been Victor Uyo. But anyway, they tried to clear the ball, and the ball's going back towards, you know, Inter-Miami's goal line. So about to go out for a, a corner kick. And Christopher McVeigh is there and he has the position to, you know, on a swivel to try to do, like, you know, a, a half turn to clear the ball upfield, donde sea, wherever. But just to not, not give up a corner kick, he could have easily done it. 
And like I don't know if he just lacked focus or or, or he just shut off. I mean, because Fafa Picot was over his left shoulder, but like McVeigh was trying to like looked like he was trying to carry the ball out of bounds, right? Like if he was trying to walk it out of play, thinking that it had gone off of a Nashville player, as opposed to clearing it upfield, and then uh, you know Picot hit you know bumps him up shoulder to shoulder. And and McVeigh doesn't make a play on it. It goes out for a corner kick, and then McVeigh gets mad at Picol, and and they have like a little exchange of words. Um, you know, it was just a frustrating overall performance. And you know, Phil yeah, Neville's tactics was... and the personnel have something to do with that as well. And yeah, definitely that that is definitely. But listen, that first goal, Nashville's first goal was wow, that was so bad for McVeigh. <laughs> it was so bad. Honey, but it was it was really good from Hani Mukhtar though. Yeah. It was very good from Hani Mukhtar to, to to get him to buy on the feint. And you know, in the thirty third yeah. minute, uh it was Anibal Godoy that, that clips in a pass in behind Inter Miami's defense. Mukhtar with a great diagonal run from left to right gets on the end of it. McVeigh's in pursuit. Uh, you know, Mukhtar is on the right side of the penalty area with his back to goal. He fakes like he's gonna go right with the step over. McVeigh bites very hard, and then Mukhtar, oh. with, with his quality, able yeah. to then turn to the left, girar, and then he picks out Fafa Pico in the penalty area uh, for the low cross and finish. Harvey Neville left something to be desired there uh, on that cross. Um, could have done better, could have reacted and anticipated better, um, but you know he, he, he reacted too slowly to the play. And that was the first goal that Inter Miami gave up, but it, it seemed inevitable, right? Because they yeah, didn't fend. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You know what? And I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But Inter Miami in that first half, and I tweeted this at the time, they finished with zero shots in general. Not only on target, right? They had zero shots on target in that first mm-hmm. half, but they also had zero shots in general. And then on the broadcast, they said this, which I mean, I I, I didn't have that stat in front of me. Inter Miami didn't step into Nashville's penalty area during that first half. They didn't even step into it. That's how bad of a performance it was. That's yeah, how bad it was. It was hor. I told you, trash, basura. It was impresentable. Any word that you can use to describe that. It was just bad overall. And that's not only on the players, but on the tactics. Because, yes, we can say uh, a lot of new players came in. Uh, Harvey, Sailor, because Christoph is injured. And you had David Risk uh, going to to the World Cup. Yes, you can talk about that. But for me, the tactics were wrong. Even though we know Nashville is superior. And we saw it on the field. Nashville was extremely superior. And... Uh, let me tell you that Nashville could have won easily that first half by more goals. And even in the second half, if Bumbury had a better game, <laughs> he missed a lot of opportunities. And also Calendar is a good goalkeeper. But the tactics, Inter-Miami cannot, for me, that is, this is what I meant. This is the point that I was telling you a couple of podcasts ago that this team was going to get to. Once this comes crumbling down, they don't have any more ideas. And by they, I mean the the coaching staff. Because they they went to an extreme. After trying to attack, they went to the extreme to to defend. And this game, it, they went to the <laughs> to the high, the infinite extreme. Because this this game plan against Nashville was was really hard to see. The team, you you. I mean, you it was clear see. that they it, wanted to. 
Yeah, it was clear that they wanted, wanted to, to be defensive. Yeah, absolutely, but, absolutely. But, when you when you take out DeAndre Edlin and you bring in Harvey yeah. Neville, yeah, and when you take out Nicolas Stefanelli, and then you have Victor Uyoa next to Dixon Arroyo. Yes, David Ruiz is out. I mean, clearly, clearly, you're looking to defend. Like, who who are your creative players? In that no lineup one. that we just named. Campana's no an attacker, okay? And he uh, has to come down and... And he's a striker, right? So he doesn't really create. Robert Taylor, again, more of a dribbler. He can score, but not really a creative guy. The only other guy in there that you, I, I could say, maybe you know your opinion or listeners' opinions are different. The only other guy that I think can create on a consistent basis is Franco Negri because of his crossing from deep and his ability to get forward. But even that was muted because he wasn't getting forward, uh, he wasn't as, getting forward. as much because, one, Inter Miami couldn't keep the ball. Yeah. And, and two, maybe tactically he was, he was asked to defend a little bit more. So it was just a very defensive-minded game plan, and it backfired, right? Because backfired. they weren't solid enough at the back to, to get into the break at 0-0. And they weren't good enough with the ball to help take some of that pressure off of the defense. Because, look, they, they could have tried to defend like they have for other games, but when they have the ball, and I'm not saying they have to bombard forward and counterattack and look to hit immediately, but, you know, string some passes together. Make the other team have to chase a little bit so that you're not just running around and getting yourself exhausted and frustrated. But they couldn't do it. Again, now, you know, does Phil Neville, does Phil Neville deserve blame for players missing passes and lacking sharpness? I mean, to an extent, yes. To an extent, yes. But, again, some of these passes that were misplayed just came about from players just not making the right the right pass or the right uh, weight on the pass. And, you know, maybe maybe they didn't feel comfortable. Maybe in that formation exactly, with the personnel, they think. didn't feel comfortable. That's, that's a possible explanation. That is what I was going to say. This back five worked because you had the likes of Sergi Kristov and Kamal Miller who are solid enough to carry it. Without them, without both of them, a back five is not the answer for Inter Miami. Because Ryan Saylor and Christopher McVeigh are not that high of a quality as Sergi Kristoff and as Kamal Miller. And that is a fact. So when you have a back five and you are missing either right now that you brought Miller and he's been very good for the team and you're missing Christoph because he's injured, you have to be creative with a solution. And this back five with Sailor and McVeigh and you add to that mix Harvey Neville, who is inexperienced also as a professional player, it will not work. It will not work. Too many unexperienced players to make that back five work. And then the players that you put in front of them, you put Victor Ulloa and Dixon Arroyo, who are not going to create any right. any type of game. So right. when you have Cristobal or you have Kamal Miller and you have Yellin by one side and you have Nady on the other side and you have that extra, you have McVeigh being the extra uh, center back, then Kamal Miller and Sergi Cristobal can come and play the ball out like they had been doing when, when they played New England Revolution and or, or the or the games before. But without them, Kamal Miller tried to get the ball and then he lost it and, and the ball out and then he lost it and the team was caught up off guard. So this back five doesn't work if you don't have the personnel and that personnel is Cristobal who is the key piece for this back five to work. 
for I, me. I, I Listen, I'll just reiterate that I think that the defensive approach in general for where Inter Miami is right now is not a bad one. But I think they went, like you said, to the extreme. They were extremely defensive and extremely sloppy. And that just wasn't a recipe for success against Nashville SC in their stadium. Just wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen. Like, you need some type of balance. And I think taking out Yedlin and putting in Harvey Neville, yes, that maybe prioritizes the defense, but it takes away from your attack. It already doesn't have a whole lot. Like, look at the profiles of the players that, that we named in that starting lineup, right? Just listeners, just think about it. Andrea, here, think about it. Like, las características de esos jugadores, again, the, the profiles of those players, there's not a whole lot of attack there. Like, Benjam Benjam Benjamin Kamaski is a, 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 a good prospect. Yeah, but I think you know, based on what I've seen so far, he's more of a hard worker and uh, and a guy that can connect and, and pass the ball and move the ball. But he's not going to create a whole lot for you consistently. Exactly. Like, does he have the vision? Like, I haven't seen him, you know, put a line splitting pass yet, uh, and it's early days. But I, I haven't seen even a moment or an attempt at that. So, like, it's not going to be him. Robert Taylor, again, we've seen enough of. He's a dribbler um, and he can score some goals but not necessarily someone that's going to pass. So clearly they were, Phil Neville and his coaching staff were focused on hard work, staying compact and organized, and trying to get forward when they could, but it, it was just too defensive-minded, in my opinion. Too defensive-minded. And I still think they should have played defensive-minded, but not this defensive-minded. I think this was too far, and listen, I get that they were playing away at Nashville, and Nashville has Hani Mukhtar, and they're one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, but I think they gave them too much respect with the lineup and the personnel that they put out there. And I think it was just overdone, right? It, it would be like the other way around, right? Like if you went very attack-minded at the at the expense of your defense, where you leave your back line exposed, right? Like maybe you, you create a whole lot of chances, but you're leaving all this space in behind and you lost 4-2 or 4-3. You know, like they, they didn't have enough balance in terms of the, the, the lineup, in my opinion. And I think that is one of the reasons why, amongst the other ones that we've discussed, why the team struggled in that first half. Now, they did get better in the second half. Uh, you know, Victor Ulloa came off at the halftime interval. Joseph Martinez came on. You know, it was I, I was curious to see how Inter Miami would approach things with Campana and Joseph on the field at the same time, and the game only 1-0. But, again, Lucas McNaughton scores four minutes after the break, so Nashville he takes a 2-0 lead, and then... Uh, an uphill climb became a mountain climb for Inter Miami. So uh, it, it, from that point forward, really hard to analyze the game just from a, you know a, a regular standpoint because at that point Nashville again taking their foot off the pedal a little bit, letting Inter Miami have the ball. Inter Miami threatened, but never really really looked overly like scoring. Um, you know, a couple shots here, a couple shots there. They were pretty much straight at, at Joe Willis, Nashville SC's goalkeeper. And in the end, Inter Miami finishes with 11 shots, 4 on target, 44% possession. In the first half, well, I think they, it was, at one point it was like 28% possession for Inter Miami. So, uh, again, not not a not a game to remember if you're a fan of La Rosa Negra. It was our worst of time. So anything, anything you want to add about the second half? Uh, or is it just, you know, again... A byproduct of Nashville see just protecting its lead. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a byproduct. Even even in in the first minutes of the second half, they still had opportunities with Bumbury and and the misses that he had and and some couple of calendar saves. Right. 
Right. Uh, but, but listen, Inter Miami, when Nashville took out Fafa, took out Aníbal Godoy, uh, the game changed. The game changed. Uh, they took off Bumburi also. The game changed. Inter Miami should have taken advantage of that, but they didn't. And uh, um, that is because uh, it is very difficult on the road once you start losing 2-0 and uh, you have a defensive mentality to go and get a result. So that's basically it. And the goal is positive for Dixon Arroyo. It's, it's a rebound, but he, he, he got it in. It's positive for him to get his first goal. And <laughs> Phil saying after the game when I asked about the goal that you know it came off of a corner kick, a bit... A bit of a flattering remark there for himself. <laughs> stuff, yeah, there's no assist on that goal. Well, knowing in MLS, they're going to secondary assist. No, no, no. I made sure. <laughs> I made sure. I, <laughs> I double-checked to make sure there was no assist given before I did my, my write-up for Miami Total Football's sub-stack. And there was no assist, yeah. but I like your I like your joke that, yeah, you know, MLS. Knowing MLS, they might give it to a Nashville SC player just to pad the stats. Um it was un golazo, though, huh? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's yeah. talk about it really quickly. He, because, he, I mean, if, of the few positives Inter Miami had in this he game, hit well. it was un golazo. Un golazo. Shame that un golazo like that se desperdicia. It goes to waste in a, in a game like this, practically the last kick of the game when the game's out of reach. I mean, you know, Inter Miami was about to lose, but Dixon Arroyo still couldn't help but smile. The broadcast and, and uh, a photo, uh, photographer and a photo that came out. Afterwards, catches his very big grin after he scored that goal. I mean, it was a hell of a goal. Well taken. Shot uh, from just outside the penalty area on top of the 18-yard box. And it kisses the underside of the crossbar and goes in. Nice first goal for Dixon Arroyo in terms of the aesthetics. And his first uh, Inter-Miami strike. But again, just too little, too late for the, for the South Florida side. Uh, now, this is something else we need to talk about from this game. Because it was a positive. And that's that Ian Frey, the young teenage center back, made his return in making his debut. Which, you know, it's one of those fascinating things about soccer, about football. He had never played for the first team before, but this marked his return from injury. I mean, technically he played the week prior, or the weekend prior, for the second team. But Mm -hmm. this was his return to the first team. He had been with them during the last two years. Suffered a pair of ACL injuries in each of those preseasons. So he returned to the first team and made his debut for the first team. So a bit of a paradox there. Kind of uh, a weird, weird to say, but it's just, you know, esa cosita que te deja el fútbol. Those, those type of things that, that soccer can provide to you. So he comes off the bench in the second half. Uh, interestingly enough, I got a message, not from you guys in our WhatsApp group, but from somebody else that said, why is it that when Inter Miami is losing 2-0, to zero, Phil Neville turns to a center back and a right back? Which, I mean, yeah, was playing as a right wing back, but point all the same, still still taken, right? Instead of seeing offensive or attack-minded switches, you see defensive-minded switches and substitutions. But nonetheless, going back to Ian Frey, uh, you know, kudos to him for making his debut. Good to see him back after, you know, the adversity he's had to face over the last two years. I mean, you know, last year... I think you and I were in agreement. I think Jose was as well that Ian Frey was probably Inter Miami's best player in preseason up until the point where he he tore his ACL again. Uh, so there were some decent moments there. You know, I won't wax poetry over his cameo. Um, I, I'm curious to see how much speed he has after these two back-to-back injuries. I thought on one play, 
he didn't look to have as much pace as he did prior to the at least to the second injury. But it's early, you know. He's still fi- finding his footing. Phil Neville said after the game that they're still going to work him back for a bit. He's going to play with the second team that he hasn't played, you know, uh, more than forty-five minutes or forty-five minutes in a while. He didn't even play forty-five minutes here, so they're going to bring him back slowly and sh- surely. But that they figure that he will play a part during this season later at some point. So, yeah. Andrea, your thoughts on Ian Frey making yeah. his return? In making his debut, that it w- it was really positive for for me. And Frey is a good prospect. He's a player that, as you said, uh, us three we rarely agree, but we <laughs> were in agreement that Ian Frey is a good prospect. He's a talented uh, young man. He uh, he has a lot a lot to give, and hopefully he can maintain uh, his career without any more injuries. It's it's always unfortunate to see someone that young get injured like he did. But I, I guess that's in the past. And every time I've seen him, he has a smile on his face. So uh, that is positive. And, and I like that uh, this was a game after you were losing. This was a game to bring him in after he played with Inter Miami too uh, during the weekend. As you said, they, this was a good game. It was a good decision to bring him. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, Andrea, really quickly. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. But was bringing him in a sign to you that they were taking the game as a loss? Yes. <laughs> I thought so. Like, that's how I took it, right? Like, yes. he's, he's inexperienced. He hadn't made his debut yet. I thought, like, yes, they were bringing in Yedlin to try to maybe try to salvage something. But I think the the introduction of Ian Frey was an admission from the coaching staff. All right, this game's over. Let's get let's get the kids some minutes. Let's get him Let's get him going and working his way up to, to playing more and, and getting back to the level that he was at prior to the injury. That's how, that's yeah. how I read the, Completely the substitution. Completely agree. Yes. Okay. Well, it is that. It's that. And, that's, and that's without, without trying to, you know, trying to, to, you know, disparage or take anything away from Ian Frey's debut. No. But that's just, just, that's just, you know, if, if Inter Miami was winning that Inter game, Miami. but if, it, if Inter Miami was winning that game, I don't know if we necessarily would have seen Ian Frey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Even though that would have made more sense. You need, maybe you want to bring in another center back. Just, I think that they were, they were, that was just a way of them just being like, all right, this one is pretty much done and dusted. But anyway, continue. Yeah, I, I, I guess that in, in, in football, you have those moments. Like when I was telling you when Joseph got mad, when, when Phil got him out, it was because that was a game for him to get more, go- more goals. And in this moment, this was a game to bring Ian Frey on to give him minutes to let him have his debut and give him minutes in MLS um, against a good team. Lisa Nashville is a good team, and and he had the, those minutes, and uh, it's gonna help his progress, his confidence, and his game moving forward. So it was a good decision to bring I, him. I saw some of the technical qualities that we saw from him last preseason. Uh, remember that La U game where he played against Universitario yeah. de Deportes, the Peruvian, yeah. the Peruvian club, and he scored in that game off of a nice dribble with a, a you know a, a surging run forward and a penetrating run uh, on the dribble. Uh, yes. you know we saw moments and glimpses of that. Again, I still have questions about how much speed or how much speed he might have lost with the injuries. Hopefully, for his sake and Hermione's sake, not a whole lot. Um, you know the effort was there. You know he he scrambled back on a couple of plays. When Nashville FC looked to hit on the counter, because again, second half, especially the last thirty minutes, Inter Miami had the ball more, and they started throwing numbers forward. You know, even Kamal Miller was getting deep into Nashville FC's half, defensive half. 
So that left a lot of spaces in behind, and Ian Frey had to put out a few fires or had to try to scramble back. You know, like you mentioned, Drake Kellner had to make two very good saves to keep the scoreline what it was. Uh, so, you know, there were there were good moments for him. And I also saw one play where where he passed the ball. You know, he was on the ball. He passed the ball forward, and then he looked to to make a run forward to get even more involved and deeper into the attack uh, or the attacking half. So, you know, the the, the qualities and the 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 feel for the game still looks to be the same. It's just a matter of, of physically how, how's he doing and how much time it's going to take for him to work his way back to his best consistently for a long stretch. That's that's the, the next thing with the Frey, like Phil Neville noted, post-game. But again, Frey was just uh, one positive in a overall largely disappointing showing. I didn't actually get to say what I thought my key to the game was on the last pod with Jose. Jose said his, but I, I didn't get to say mine. I forgot mine. Mine was to keep Hani Mukhtar from making an impact. And if they did that, I thought they had a chance. But with their performance and with how well Hani Mukhtar played, that wasn't to be an Inter-Miami again. Suffers. It's seventh loss of the season. The defeat dropped Inter Miami to five wins, zero draws, and seven losses in the Eastern Conference. Team is now down to 11th after being in sixth prior to that midweek match. Now, Andrea, before we move on to the Sunshine Classico against Orlando City this weekend, which should be a doozy, let's quickly talk about some other news that happened earlier this week, and that is that the MLS Players Association, the MLSPA, released the salaries for 2023, or the first edition of the salaries for 2023. So, Inter-Miami, of course, the full team, they had their base salaries published and unveiled to the public. Now, listen, I've talked to enough players to know that these numbers are not 100% accurate, right? There's different bonuses and different, all different types of things. But we can just go off of the base salaries to have an idea of who earns what and analyze it in that manner. Andrea, what is the biggest thing that stood out to you from looking at Inter-Miami's initial 2023 roster salary for these players? Oh, well, the first thought that I had is, wow, I can't believe Leonardo, Leandro Gonzalez Pires is still earning a million dollars. But the second thought was like, wow, this, uh, it surprised me, some of the numbers that I saw. What, what mostly surprised you? Uh, it surprised me how much Campana makes. I understand that here it works like it does in the NBA and MLB, NFL, that players get their salaries divided by the year in their contracts. And I guess he's going to make more in, in a couple of years. But it surprised me that his salary was was. Only, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to feel very poor because I wish I made half a million dollars in a year. <laughs> but I'm poor, so... I don't, I don't think any member of the... I won't say any because there's some TV people out there, but I don't think anyone that's not TV person that covers MLS is making half a million. Exactly. And Campana is making just half a million. That surprised me. Um, uh, and it surprised me also how much they bettered uh, Drake Callender's contract because he made... A lot less, and now he's making a base. His base salary is three hundred thousand dollars, so that was a, a big up in his contract. 
that surprised me a lot. And of course, uh, everyone was surprised about how much they are paying Joseph Martinez. Well, and so, I, I so, guess Atlanta so is paying yes. some of that, yes. we know. And Inter Miami is paying the other, but it's still $4 million. He's the highest paid in the team, even uh, more than Pizarro. Correct. Although, again, just to be clear, based on everything we know and what this is inside information, is that Atlanta is paying for a portion of that Joseph Martinez salary. So Inter Miami is not paying or forking over a good portion of it. So that, that that is taken into consideration. But yes, based off of just the sheer number, based off the sheer salary, Joseph Martinez at $4 million is the highest paid Inter Miami player right now. The second highest paid player is your boy, Tu Pizarro, Rodolfo Pizarro, uh, yeah. making $3 million, a little bit over $3 million in change, which seems like a pretty hefty salary for... Someone who's not, I mean, he's injured now, but he wasn't even starting regularly before the injury. So, yeah, that for me, if I I was the the writing in the book, yeah, of course, they didn't want him. But for me, even though if Phil didn't want him, for me, if I was an owner and I was paying a player three million dollars, man, that player would play every game. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Now, Now we're gonna go at it here because an owner. Does not coach the team. You hire a coach because the coach has to coach the team. If, if if and I know that happens. I know that there's like where owners get overly involved and they start like, but if that if that day ever comes, especially for, American owners, don't you see what happened at Chelsea? And the man spend all his money buying players, almost I don't know one billion dollars. Hey, if and- you want to invest the money, then as an owner, that's that's perfectly fine. But that's why you have people that you've hired to do the jobs yeah. underneath you. Like, like, if it reminds me of it to the point where the owners are picking or, or influencing the decisions of who should play in a game, then that's the day that Inter Miami is in trouble. Because there's a reason why owners are the owners, sporting directors are the sporting directors, and coaches are the coaches. If an owner wants to wants to influence that, then just make yourself the the sporting director or the general manager and, and go about it that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, Pizarro, I think... His salary, like if it was unclear to anybody beforehand, I think these salaries make it very clear that there is next to no chance Rodolfo Pizarro comes back after this season. Yeah, I don't even think if he took fifty percent pay cut, if they if they said if they offered him uh, or if he said I'll take one point five million, I still don't think they would bring him back. Like he would have to take like such a hefty pay cut, which is just I it's unforeseeable it's just not not something that, that you could would expect to happen i think this is the last season for rodolfo pizarro in in the in the black and pink uh let's see who else was a also player? you you know who surprised me corentin john who is very close to being a designated player corentin john corentin john coco is making seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars base salary base salary i did get a i did get a message from uh someone in the MLS world that was very surprised by that figure. And I jokingly told that person, eh, maybe he's got Blaze Matweedy's agent. Maybe, you know, as part of <laughs> as part of Blaze Matweedy's buyout, they were like, all right, well, you gotta you gotta bring this guy on board for a couple seasons and pay him a decent amount. Maybe, you never know. Stuff like that. Stuff like that, like I mean, and that and that's just me um, you know, making a joke and, and uh obviously there's I don't know if there's anything to that. That's just a, a completely random joke. So Please don't take that as information and run off with that as being a rumor. But um, 
Yo, stuff like that does happen, though, in the world of football. Like, yeah, you know, that, that those little behind-the-scenes details that, you know, are hard to connect, but they're there? It happens. It happens. Yes. But, um, yeah, surprised by him. Yeah. Also, also Robbie Robinson making two hundred thousand dollars. I don't. I don't believe his count against the overall salary budget yeah. slash salary cap because he's still on the, on the initial Adidas contract, team. the gen, mm. the generation Adidas contract. But uh, for for to tell you something, Franco Neri makes two hundred and twenty five thousand, and Robbie Robinson makes two hundred thousand. So that just that just for me goes to show you how, you know, even professional players in South America, like how little they can make unless they're. They're yeah. at a very high level. Just yeah. Like, Franco Negri's a good player. I think he's a very Franco good player. Franco Negri's a good player, and for what they're paying him, he was it's... a ganga. <laughs> a ganga? What is a ganga for the a... English listeners? A bargain? A, a bargain? bargain, yes. Yeah, yeah a bargain. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, Nicolas Stefanelli, 400000 Uh DeAndre Yellen, 825000 He's one of the mm-hmm. one of the higher earners. Um, you know, so Gene Mota, seven hundred and fifty thousand. Gregory, you know, who who is a DP, mm-hmm. but there's other factors that go into there. But he was at base salary of seven hundred twenty five thousand. So there there was some interesting, interesting. Uh... Yeah, I guess the most interesting number was uh, that created a lot of noise was Joseph, but mm-hmm. we don't know officially. We cannot tell you what percentage Atlanta is paying and what percentage Inter Miami. I think I think I remember are... reading that that Atlanta was paying up bulk of it yeah atlanta is paying uh, one part but we don't know exactly how much. i don't know exactly yeah, yeah i don't know exactly, don't know how, exactly much, how much but, but atlanta but is helping them foot the bill yes yeah. it's it, it, it because he had that contract he was a designated player with them nick marsman is probably going to be on his way out as well he makes four hundred and seventy four thousand yeah. nine hundred ninety six dollars according to the base salary so yeah. that's a chunk of change for a backup goalkeeper. So yeah, imagine you can get a cheaper backup goalkeeper. So uh, I, I think Nick Morrisman is is probably Almost, in. yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else of no Ian Frey making one hundred and ten thousand. Good for the young the youngster. Uh, yeah. Wh- whoever his agent is has uh you know did well for him because all <laughs> the other young players when they sign deals and especially for a center back right yeah and all the other young players they're in the sixty to seventy range 70, you know yeah. like but yeah. but Ian Frey from his initial contract. On 110, not bad, not bad. Uh, anybody else? Anyone else that really stands out or is worth mentioning? I guess Harvey Neville, coach's son. You got to talk about that. You can't ignore that. 67,316. That's about you know again, uh, what what the youngsters make. Um, I mean, that might even be the the league minimum. It might be uh, if I'm not. Yeah, mistaken. I think I it's to... the minimum. That is what Cremarchi is doing the same. I think. Oh, seventy-seven thousand dollars. 70, it's close to the minimum. It's close yeah, yeah Borgelin. Borgelin, yep. Cremarchi are making that. Yeah, yeah. Borgelin has 67,360. Uh, Cremarchi as well. CJ Dos Santos. Cole Jensen, the rookie go- uh, goalkeeper. So yeah, that, that seems like it's it's close to, if not the the minimum. So interesting numbers. You know, it's, it's something to dissect. I know some people don't like the fact that the, the salaries are released. Some people... Do I, I personally don't like that to tell you the truth? Why, especially for Latino players? Uh, in oh, our countries, here we go. Here we go. The situation is not good, so these numbers should be private. Uh, Andrea, people know these guys are making a bunch of money, whether it's published, yeah, or not. but. 
some, sometimes people think, oh, someone is like, let's take Kyoto. He is in his last year of the salary. He, he stayed this year with his option. People think that he's making the same amount of money like he did last year, and he is not because last year he won a mi almost a million dollars. This year he's winning much less, but people still think that he's making a million bucks because it, in, in MLS, people don't get that it works differently. And you get your money divided by the years in your contract. So sometimes you get more money, sometimes you get less money. It depends on the option. It depends and on what of... you work out. Exactly. So there's also there's that. also appearance fees. Like if you exactly. do like you know community appearances, you get like a certain like extra, yeah. not a huge sum, I imagine, but you get something. Like so, like again, these base salaries Bonuses. are just uh -huh. yeah, these base just salaries the are just like a reference point. Mm -hmm. But but you know one like, last one last player I'll talk about here, an Inter Miami player who. Most people might not even think is an Inter Miami player, and that's because he spends most of the time between the second team and the youth teams, and that's Felipe Valencia, who still doesn't really get around the first team, uh, despite signing a contract years ago. Uh, he makes eighty-five thousand four hundred forty-four. Well, I, I mean, for a player that's not even close to the first team, seems seems a bit much. Seems a bit much, you know, especially given his his. Uh, projection or how he projects to be with the first team. He's not even close like the other guys, right? Like the other guys, you know, CJ Dos Santos, I mean, he's a third-string goalkeeper, but, you know, Schneider, uh, Harvey, you know, those those are guys that are at least in the first team and, and contributing. So, uh, one more. Uh, oh, Dixon Arroyo, 150,000. Another player with the 67,360 is, is Noah Allen. So, you know, again, those young players seem to be around mostly around the same the same ballpark figure uh except for ian frey <laughs> but uh anyway uh, all right let's move on andrea let's move on I, I think i think it's interesting to talk about the salaries i think it it makes for good conversation i understand why some people don't like it and uh, especially for inter miami because listen you're paying a million to leandro gonzalez pires you're paying three million to Pizarro. I'm, sure, I'm sure river plate's taking some of that one million though. yeah yeah i, I would guess but, but well Emerson Rodriguez is still on the books, three hundred and thirty thousand. That, yeah, yes, that's the one we can't overlook. Your boy, Emerson boy. Rodriguez, who has not torn it up at all in Mexico, not at all. Uh, he not went to all. Aliyah with yeah, yeah, but no, 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 no. Not that bad. I mean, the team not didn't bad. that bad. His season hasn't been good. Like you can't say his his yeah, season was but, good. Yeah, but but it's not. It has not been bad. He has not turned it up, but it has not been bad. Zero, been go zero goals. Zero yeah, goals. but he's not a goal scorer. Uh, he's not Guignac. Zero goals, <laughs> zero goals for an attacker. No bueno. No bueno. No bueno. Uh, anyway, all right. Let's move on to this weekend's game. Inter-Miami welcomes Orlando City, the arch rival, to the latest edition of the Sunshine Clásico, El Clásico del Sol. It will take place on Saturday at Drive Pink Stadium at 7.30 p.m. The last time these two teams played one another, Inter-Miami sealed its playoff ticket or punched its playoff ticket by beating Orlando City 4-1 in the penultimate week of the 2022 season. And it was as dominant a display from Inter-Miami as we've seen. Might have just been the best game in Inter-Miami history. Because they scored early, they scored often, and they they cruised to the finish line. If I'm not mistaken, I think Orlando City scored their goal late on, four to one at that point. It's remind me, I think it was leading four to zero. 
Uh, yes, that is correct. That is correct. They were leading 4-0, and, uh, and Orlando City got a goal in the 71st minute to make it 4-1. I remember Phil Neville being really upset about Inter Miami giving up that goal. I think he really wanted the shutout. Uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, different iterations of these teams. Again, Inter Miami in 11th place in the Eastern Conference. Orlando City, meanwhile, stands in 10th place, so just above Inter-Miami, and they have a four-win, four-draw, four-loss record. They've scored 13 goals, same as Inter-Miami. They've given up 15, one more than Inter-Miami. So this is a very winnable game. I don't imagine Inter-Miami will play defensively or as defensive as they did against against Nashville. I, I think right now, or at least going into this midweek match against Nashville, there was two, two trains of thoughts. Like, let's be very defensive-minded on the road and try to pluck uh, goals on set pieces or on the counter and try to either get a draw that way or, or a surprise win. And then at home, be a little bit more attack-minded. I think in this one, they'll be more attack-minded. I think that you might see the back five, but I think the, post- the posture will be a little bit different. It will be a, like we saw against the England Revolution, a back five, but with two strikers. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a chance for Joseph and and uh, Leo Campana to play together. You know, Jason Christ on Thursday talked about needing to to find ways to get them on the field together more often because they're. I'm already bored with them saying that, man. Then do it. Just do it. <laughs> Phil said it already, and I was like, man, then do it. Do it. Not just only say it on your media availabilities because you think that is what people want to hear. I think do we'll it. see it this weekend. I think yeah, we'll see it this hopefully weekend. Hopefully, with uh, for me. I did. I was not on the podcast, uh, that first podcast in this week. But for me, those first 15 minutes against New England Revolution was the best that I've seen them in this season. I really like how the team played, and it could be a possibility uh, to, for them to to move forward playing like that with Campana and Joseph at the top and keeping his beloved back five. So hopefully we see something like that with Inter Miami uh, against Orlando. As you said, Orlando is struggling also, like Inter Miami. They have a better coach, I think, in Oscar Pareja. So they will be dangerous, but they are struggling too as as Inter Miami, and it should be a winnable match for them at home. So in terms of the lineup, right? We both think back five, yes? Yes, back five. Okay. Now, I would say DeAndre Edlin comes back into that back five. Absolutely, right? Yeah, of course. Negany starts on the left. You're going to have Kamal Miller there as the left center back. Ryan Saylor probably stays as a sweeper. Now, the right center back depends if Sergei Kristoff is healthy enough to play or not. Mm -hmm. If he is, he starts. If not, it's going to be Christopher McVeigh again. And in goal, of course, Drake Calder. Now, let's go to the part that's less clear. Midfield for Inter Miami, right? The attack we both think is going to be Joseph and, and Campana. So that 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 gives you what? What does that give us? Six, eight players out of the eleven. So we've got to come up with three midfielders. Andrea, you go first. Who comprises the Inter Miami midfield on Saturday? I would play with Dixon Arroyo, Nicolas Stefanelli, and Corentin John. Okay, now who do you think? actually plays because this, this is different questions right who would you play yeah. and who do you think Phil Neville plays I yeah. try to get in the mind of uh, I think we're gonna see Robert Taylor uh with Dixon Arroyo and we're gonna see one either Corentin John or Stefanelli I don't think there's any chance Kurumashi gets benched for this game I just don't see it I think Phil Neville really like rates his hard work and the effort he puts in and the tackles he gets into 
Again, maybe not the most polished on the ball at this point in his in his young career, but I think Phil Neville really, really rates the the dirty work that, that he can put in. So I think we'll see Dixon Arroyo. I think we'll see Benjamin Kremaski. And I think Nicolas Stefanelli comes back in. I think that they need Stefanelli, not only because he can buzz about, uh, but also because he gives them a little more creativity. Yeah, the they ball. need that. Mm-hmm. And they need that. So I think he comes back in. I think that is the starting lineup on Saturday if you're Inter-Miami. Now, what is the key to the game, Andrea? What does Inter-Miami have to do to win Horrible. this match? No, but an obvious score on goal, Andrea. But that's that's a number. See, last week, again, I didn't get to say it on the pod. You know, we, we, we ran short on time, and then I just I just slipped my mind to, to mention it. I always like, you know, bringing up a key to the game. Jose did, I didn't. And I could have said, oh, yeah, defending well is the key to the game. But that's, that's I mean, it's a really umbrella term, and it's umbrella key. They need to score goals. It doesn't matter if Orlando scores. They need to score goals, multiple goals to win this game. Okay. I still think that's a bit uh, vague. Like, does it have to be Campana? Does it, like, you know, like, I think it could be a little more specific. A little more specific. I th- Listen, for me, key to the game is be the protagonist. Have the ball. Wh- and when you attack, you know, score, of course. But you need the ball to, to score. No, so, they can win without having the ball, like they did against New England. But really? I think in this one, against a team like Orlando, who's limping into this one, like Orlando yeah. hasn't won a game mm-hmm. across any competition since April 29th. So, entran lastimados, entran cojeando. They're, they're coming into this game not in the best way. It, hurting a little bit, reeling a little bit. So I think Inter Miami needs to be the protagonist. Have the ball. When you have the ball, you know, be productive in that possession. Make it, make it count. But also use that possession to keep the Orlando City pressure off of you. Knock it around, tire them out. Frustrate them. Don't let them get into a groove. I think if you can do that, if you can be the protagonist and be the ones that dictate the tempo with the ball, even if you're playing in a five-man backline and being smart about when to attack when you have it and when to you know, use it to defend, you know, you can defend by keeping the ball and not letting the other team have it. I think that is the key to the game for me. I think there's going to be goals. I think there's going to be goals. It's just, But I think, I think they need to be smart at both ends but while having the ball. You just say it's the score goals. That's it. Nothing yeah, more. Yeah, nothing more. For me, they can they can play defensive-minded. They can give the ball to Orlando City. But they have to score, like... To give you an example, if they dominate the first 15 minutes like they did with the New England Revolution, they have to capitalize and score a goal there. Then it doesn't matter if Orlando comes back, they tie, but they have to have that mentality of we're get scoring the first goal. We're scoring the first goal. It doesn't matter if Orlando has the ball, especially with a team like Orlando that we have been talking. They are struggling also like Inter Miami, and they need to get the result at home. This is a winnable match at home. And it doesn't matter how, how you do it, how you score the goals, if they keep possession or not. If, uh, for, to tell you the truth, for me, if we don't see Stefanelli or Corinton John or Robert Taylor playing in, in the midfield, they were not going to have the ball. Cremachi and Dixon Arroyo are not going to win that duel to get the ball, to get possession. To, to, for Inter Miami to have the ball, they have to bring creative players. Uh, 
for them to win. That's true because if if Orlando City doesn't necessarily press them, Orlando doesn't necessarily look to to try to win that midfield battle because they expect Inter Miami to to come flying out at home, then then Inter Miami can have the ball with whoever it has. It just might not be as creative. But anyway, all right. Uh, You say score goals. I say be the protagonist with the ball. So we'll see how Inter Miami goes about it. We'll see how Phil Neville approaches things. Definitely, definitely can't see him being as extremely defensive-minded and as extremely and a team as extremely sloppy as it was on Wednesday. If they are, then I think you're in for for a rough rough night at Dripping Stadium. But we'll see. Hopefully it'll be a buzzing stadium. I imagine Inter-Miami fans are up for it. I imagine there will be Orlando City fans making the trip down. So, uh it'll be it'll be a good one. It'll be a good one. Let's see how it all plays out. All right, Andrea, let's take a break. We will come back for our Q&A session and our final thoughts. We'll do that after this. quick Q&A session. We'll just do one because, again, it's a short turnaround between now and the weekend game. So we'll go for one. It's from Joseph E. Shout out to Joseph E. Joseph E. asks, thoughts on the league adding San Diego as the 30th team today? Andrea, your thoughts. Well, for me, to tell you the truth, it was a good idea, but I was really disappointed to see what Don Garber and MLS did to San Diego Loyal. Uh, the team that wanted to be part of MLS, uh, that wanted, that has the fan, fan base, that has done the work in the community. And for them to say, no, you don't have the money to get in. We're not going to give you anything. Goodbye. And we're bringing new investments, new stadium, new promises with politicians. It was really disappointing. To Andrea, see, to that's tell you par the for the course, though. Come on, man. No, because... It's I, par for the course, uh, Andrea. Atlanta United... Uh, I've been covering NASL in USL since I came into this country 10 years ago. And what MLS has done to them and to the teams, to the league, to Cosmos, to Florida Strikers, to Miami FC is a disgrace. And it's a disgrace what they're doing to the San Diego Loyal. It is what it is. I cannot I'm, tell you I'm not, another... Listen, I'm not, I'm not disagree. I'm not saying your opinion is wrong. I'm just saying it's par for the course. It's It's standard procedure. With MLS, the standard procedure for the soccer, the football landscape. I mean, Atlanta United came in and the Atlanta Silverbacks, what happened to them? Right? You know, Inter Miami comes in, what happens to Miami FC? You know, and, and listen, fans of those MLS teams won't care, but fans of those existing teams that they've invested time, money, and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into, you know, if they cease to exist, then, you know, that that's going to. To resonate, and I think long-standing Miami Fusion fans should have some sympathy towards that because you know what it's like to have a team that you yeah. you pour your heart and soul into, and then to have that taken away from you. So regardless of what division they're in, so I I understand your premise, and I, listen, I, I I get the argument from people that say that MLS falls, is, is then when the team falls, what is the league going to do? When that, then you have problems with team not filling up stadiums, with team having problems with with other teams, and it, because it's a closed system, those teams survive. Some don't, like Chivas USA, and close. But that is a problem when you operate like that. So for me, 
I will not sit here and say, wow, positive and, and clap when they are doing those tactics that should be on the past. I will listen. These are, these are, again, I don't disagree with the idea, the argument, the opinion, the premise that maybe MLS isn't helping grow the game as well as it should by doing things like this, where it goes into markets that already have existing teams and then creating a team from scratch and then kind of overshadowing the smaller teams. It's like essentially Walmart coming into town and killing off all the mom and pop stores that offer similar services, right? Like the same type of like comparison. So I get it. I get it that, that maybe this isn't the best way to grow the sport in this country. Although MLS will adamantly say that it is. Look, I, I think... For the league, it shows that there's continued interest in expansion teams, right? We're up to 30 now. I, I could hear the argument that the league's too big in terms of sheer number of, of teams. Obviously, it's a very big country. You take into account Canada, which also has teams. So you're talking about a, a large area, two countries. You know, So there's going to be a lot of teams. I, I do think I'm definitely a pro-rel type of person. I think promotion relegation would be great for the sport. I think... It, it would add different intensity and different element and different interest um, across the board. But nonetheless, you know, it's it's for MLS purposes, it's a sign of the league being healthier than it was 15, 20 years ago. You know, it's, it's, it continues to grow. Uh, and I don't think they're going to stop. I think there will be more expansion teams to come. You know, I, I was a bit surprised that San Diego got selected over the likes of, you know, Las Vegas um, you know, I think a team in Phoenix at some point will will happen. So, there the, too many at, teams. Also, too many. Well, that's teams. what I'm saying. I, I think there's too many yeah. teams in the league. I think promotion relegation. You know, then you're could gonna help, could yeah. help, but I don't. I don't think we're gonna see that anytime soon. I don't think we'll see that, unfortunately, for for my own liking. But regardless, uh, a fourth team in California. See how they go about things, you know. It's it's one already died, like I told you. She was she was saying disappeared. Yeah, but that was a, that was a terribly uh, marketed team. Like it's it, not only are you only appealing to like the Mexican audience in mm -hmm. Southern Cal, you're only appealing to a specific Mexican fan in Southern Cal. Fans of Chivas. If you're a club club America fan, you're not going to support Chivas USA. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like I think that was just a terrible, terribly. Uh, I understand also. A terrible, terrible idea. Yeah, people that say that why California is getting another team, right? But I guess those are 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 the most the teams left in California are the most financially stable teams in the league. So, yeah, I mean, is San Jose the most financially stable? No. <laughs> uh, a fourth team, California is big, so you know, a fourth team. You know, I'm not mad at that. You know, again, I do think there could be other cities that are deserving, but I think. It's inevitable that we'll see that. I think at some point you're going to see Phoenix get in. It's, it's either it's through a team being relocated, a current team being re relocated, or more expansion. So I think Phoenix. I think you'll see uh, Las Vegas. I think probably Detroit. Maybe Indianapolis. I think there's still markets that want teams and that could probably still have teams if they continue to push the envelope. And I think MLS, with the money it's receiving from these expansion fees, I don't see why 
they would slow down. A lot of teams are surviving because of expansion or fish. But people keep saying it. You know, there's some people who say it's a pyramid scheme, and what happens? Yeah. What, ha- what happens the day that that MLS uh, can't continue to grow because it's just so so darn large? Fifty so. teams and the league collapses because you don't have any more new money coming. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, I, you know, if the day comes for Inter uh, Miami, where MLS is forty teams large, I hope there's promotion and relegation. Yeah. Division hopefully. one, division two, twenty teams. You know, top three go up, bottom three go down. You know, and I get it. You know, I get businessmen don't want to to have their product be inferior. I get all the, the reasonings. I get that the American mentality and mindset and, and landscape is different. But they ha- they you have a lot but of it, Americans it, buying teams in Europe. Exactly. So, and, it, and so it could work. It could yeah, work. it could. It could yeah. work. It could work. Yeah. And maybe at that point, maybe when when you know, I don't know how many more years it'll be, but maybe if this league gets to forty, then maybe at that point in the future, the game has evolved further. It has matured more. Fans are, are more invested. Maybe at that point, maybe it's then worth more of a talking point. I still think today, this day and age, like I, I wish it were, were true. I wish we had promotion relegation. But the powers that be deem it not. So anyway, let's leave it there for the Q&A session. By the way, San Diego will start in 2025. So if you want to go travel to San Diego... Uh, the earliest it could happen if you're an Inter-Miami fan for an MLS game is in 2025. So let's leave it there. Final thoughts. Andrea, you go first. I'll go after, and we'll finish up the show after that. Okay, my final thought for today is talking about soccer in the U.S. and that horrendous, the worst of all time logo that they presented for the World Cup alongside Mexico <laughs> and Canada. It's oh, the worst man. thing I've seen in my life. Oh, my God. Oh my God, that is horrendous! What what is that? I understand it has a lot of unity behind, but you have Mexico, you have Canada, and you have the United States, and that is what you come out with after having uh, a lot of beautiful logos for World Cups in the past of having some something that represents the country that is hosting the the tournament, having that you have the same animal being the animal of Mexico and being the animal, the official animal of the United States as an eagle, you couldn't do anything, anything else than a two and a six in a horrendous font in white with a back background and the cup in front. That is absolutely horrendous, horrible, the worst of all, all of the logos in the history of the World Cup. It's horrendous, <laughs> and I hate it, and I hate it, and I will hate it, and I hope that with all the backlash that they're receiving, they change and do it better. Uh, so I guess we will both have the same final thought, because that's what I was going to talk to you about before we began recording, and then I said, hold on, Andrea, you know what? Let's not even talk about it now. Let's leave it for the show so we can get <laughs> a, a full discourse without you know um, having expressed some ideas already. So I am with you 100%. I think it is atrocious. I think it is bland. I think it is basic. I think it, like... Like what? what? It, Even it, Ronaldo, it, when they presented it, Ronaldo was like, what? what? It's just, <laughs> like, man, like, you're, you're trying to take the game forward. It's 2026. The World Cup's coming back here. Like, that's what you have to offer. That's the best you could have come up with. And, I, and listen, I get it seems like they're trying to go the MLS current logo approach in terms of having like a, a pretty simple logo that can be altered in terms of the color schemes and you know i know all the different cities like miami you know t- today there was a miami 
uh, what's the word? Activation is what what the, the marketing people call call it. You know, where they had like a bunch of different soccer people involved. They had, I think, uh, Nene Cuvias was there. Gregory was there. You know, they had a bunch of different people involved to try to promote that Miami 26 with the logo and colors and blue and pink like Miami Vice. So, like, I get the idea of trying to make it different colors and different schemes, something that can can be a little more versatile. But it's an awful, awful, awful idea for me. And, you know, what, what, what really rubs me the wrong way is the press release that U.S. Soccer put out. This is this is a this is this is a snippet. I'm sharing it with you listeners because you probably didn't bother to read it because you saw the image, you saw how ugly it was, and you probably were like, "Well, that's all I need to know. I don't I don't need to know any more than that," which I don't blame you for. But this is a snippet from the press release, and when I read it, ruffled my feathers. And it said this snippet right here: "Quote for the first time in history, an image of the actual trophy and the tournament hosting year is being depicted." forming an innovative design language that anchors the FIFA World Cup emblem for 2026 and beyond. End quote. <laughs> what is what is innovative in that in that freaking word soup? What is so innovative about this design? Like you know you know what I you know Andrea, you know what I honestly think? You know what I honestly think? I think it's because they're trying to make soccer bigger here and they want people. Yeah. I, I think because it, 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 it looks like clip art. It looks like clip art. It looks like clip art. They put the World Cup trophy. Think it was our worst like, it looks like clip art. Like they took the World Cup trophy so that people know, oh, okay, that's what the World Cup trophy looks like. The general American public that might not know what the World Cup trophy looks like. So they'll yeah. be like, so in four years they're like, oh yeah, anytime they see that, they'll be like, oh, that's the World Cup trophy. Because if it was just some RC logo like it normally is, does the general American public now let's not talk about Miami Total Football radio listeners, but does the general American public understand that that's a world cup logo so again i get maybe what they were thinking behind it but it was horrible but it's whoever approved that should lose their job man like you seriously had one job one job like it it it, it, for me it it can't be that even with the technology back then you have better logos with with past world cups in 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 the past century and now you come here for the first world cup with three countries together and you put that in like yeah. seriously it it's... was hor- it was disappointing and well you could when if you watched the event yesterday you could see it when ronaldo and they put the logo and ronaldo was like well and like Two people clapped because people were like, what? What is that? A picture of the trophy? You can't even see the two and the six because they chose a horrible font that looks like clip art. Like when when I was in school and computers were were coming to the mainstream, we used to do our homework was to do clip art. And that is what we used to do. <laughs> Put a picture in front of some numbers, some letters or whatever to learn to design. I, I think I think you know what this is this is the last thing I'll say on this so that we don't go too into this here. I think it is a great example, if not a perfect example, of the disconnect that exists in this country when it comes to football. There's like the there's like the fans, the 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 hardcore uh, football invested that are all into the culture that understand what it all means, you know, uh, abroad and locally here in the United States. And they want things to be done, you know, in the traditional sense, in the traditional way, to, just to keep it going. You know, like you said, it's three countries hosting for the World Cup. I mean, for the first time. I don't really like that, but, you, you know, you could have done so many things, so many things to, to depict 
the three countries coming together, for, you know, for this World Cup. And this is what you come up with? This bland, I think it was our lacking fun. originality? You talk about Inter-Miami lacking creativity. Shoot, Inter-Miami looks... Inter-Miami and Phil Neville are Picasso compared to this thing. Yeah, um, man. Because, man, this thing is... Like, it, again, sorry, to just go back to the thought and round it out. It, it's just a disconnect between the powers that be and the way that they think soccer should be approached and taken and, you know, we should come up with something that's, like, yeah, it's innovative and that will be forward-thinking and that, like, as opposed to doing things the traditional soccer way. Yes, but, you just, I cannot add any more because you said it how it is and, and how the majority of people in the world are feeling today after watching that logo and, and that presentation and the reasoning behind it. I think this got as much negative backlash as Paul McDonough being announced as the, what is he, the general manager of USL or, yes. or whatever. So, like, I mean, that, that should tell you enough. That should tell you yeah. enough. But anyway, all right, we'll leave it there. Let us know your thoughts on the FIFA World Cup 2026 logo, please. But, all right, we'll be back next week, probably for only one show because the turnaround from Saturday to Tuesday is very, very short. So definitely one show next week. Definitely at least one. But, all right. For Andrea Yanis, a.k.a. Ajisita, I am Franco Finizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio. <laughs> <laughs>